Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. up wizards fans welcome to another believe in the wizards podcast i'm matt moderno supposed to be jihadi white and i recording today got some schedule conflicts i'm on travel he's busy working so we couldn't really connect uh this time around so instead i've got greg finberg joining me greg is a student journalist at penn state university we won't hold the penn state part against him but diehard wizards fans if you are on wizards twitter at all you've surely seen greg's stuff he's really tapped in gets a great perspective so i think we can have a good conversation today and you know, there's not a whole lot to talk about uh, on the court because realistically the product's not been great for the last couple of weeks, but it's a lot of news off the court. So we're going to get to that. So I'll bring Greg in here in a minute. Uh, it's finally getting nice out. So time for the official beverage of the Believe in Wishes podcast. That's stateside vodkas, surfside hard iced teas. Check those out in a ton of flavors. My favorite is the one that's just the hard lemonade, to be honest with you. Uh, it's delicious. So look into that. And obviously, we're brought to you by Bet Online because we're always brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your college basketball betting needs this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchup info, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championships, right through to the Final Four and Championship game. Bet Online is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and sign up and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. With that, let's get to my conversation with Greg. Okay, pleased to be joined by Greg Finberg. Greg, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you doing this for everybody. This is on short notice, so uh, Greg's really helping us out here. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on as always, Matt. Always a pleasure to be here. I wish we had like better stuff to talk about. It's all kind of um, not not the greatest of news for Wizards fans. I, I think the first thing here, uh, the Wizards are now 33 and 42. This guarantees them their fifth straight season under 500. I didn't even actually realize that. I think Neil DeLal was the first person I saw uh, saw that, that that tweeted that out. And I was like, oh, shit, he's right. And this is that comes after five straight seasons uh, where they were above 500 from 2013 to 2018. But the five seasons before that were under 500 from 2008 to 2013. Uh, so it's just it, it's just sort of a weird game of runs. Even but the four seasons before that were all above 500. So it, it's like, I don't know, these five years are up. Maybe we're about to start a five-year stretch of above 500. That would be nice. But I don't know how realistic that is. I guess, were you aware of how kind of up and down they had been back and forth over that, like, I don't know, most of your adult life, basically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, the 2012, 2013 was like my first year kind of mm-hmm. understanding what was going on. So I was kind of blessed from the start, sure. which I guess wasn't that good because it made me think maybe we were a good team. And the last five <laughs> years, I've realized how bad we we really are. Uh, but but yeah, the it's just it goes back to the level of mediocrity this team is always on. It's always up and down. And even in those over over 500 years, never a 50 win season. Haven't had one since the championship year in 78, 79. And, and it's just it's not good enough when you're above 500 
to get to the conference finals and to the finals. And you're never bad enough in the losing seasons to be 20 to 25 wins in the top three going for someone like uh, Wembanyama or, or Scoot Henderson. So that it is that, that you brought that up. It is pretty astonishing that it keeps going up and down. If you had like one conference final somewhere in there in the last like 10 or 12 years, like I could live with that. Like, hey, we pushed all our chips to the middle of the table and it did, you know, really didn't work out. That last a healthy season of Arenas, uh, Jameson and Butler, like maybe had a chance at that. Two of the John Wall teams maybe had a chance at that. Uh, but those are really it. And I don't think those teams were, you know, getting out of the East or anything like that. So it's just, you've kind of maxed out as like a first if you get lucky a second round playoff team and it's just that's not good enough to make up for all of those kind of down seasons in between here too like i, I if like you look at someone like philly right like they they made the second round or maybe the eastern conference finals with that team with drew holiday and said this is this team's not getting anywhere with elton brand like that team and blew it up and they went all in on the tank i don't know that you necessarily have to go that far but uh now they're relevant again whether they'll ultimately win a championship with this team or not they're at least a contending caliber of team so it's hard to say that you know that hasn't worked out for them at least in some capacity uh i mean yeah i, I mean obviously being from that area i went to all the the uh the process years every mm -hmm. time the wizards came to town and the arena right now it's jumping i mean they have one of the best fan bases but it was dead and that's because for four years, five years, they they just knew they were going to be one of the worst teams in the league. And at some point, being from like DC is a big market, but in basketball, no one really wants to come here. Yeah. Sometimes that's what you just have to do. You have to endure those years because uh, if you if you don't, you're going to be looking at what we've done the last couple of years, where you're not getting anywhere. You're just stalling there. And I think they would. Uh, it's a good point with the Drew Holiday teams because I think they made the second round. They had Evan Turner. Uh, they had they had Iguodala. They had some good players, and then they make that trade. Uh, they give away Iguodala, I believe, uh, to Denver. Denver, um, maybe a part of the Mellow trade. They they get rid of of Drew Holiday. I think he goes to the Pelicans, and they are just like, you know what? This isn't gonna work. We tried, and this is the ceiling for this team, and they blow it up. And that's similar to what our our uh, position has been. It's the same thing when you look at the Kuzma situation. We knew that we we're gonna have to give him a lot of money. And if we don't think that that's going to get us anywhere above the first round of the playoffs, then you might as well trade them when you can at this deadline for a first or second round pick, maybe get some young talent and try to keep this thing going uh, and try to rebuild around Brad if that's what you have to do. But that's what competent organizations do. They're proactive. They realize when they've made a mistake, they realize when something's not working and they have, and they adjust it. It doesn't mean they're going to fix it in one to two years. It might take four to five like the process, but setting yourself up for that success even if you miss on two picks you still get someone like Joel Embiid that just means that you're setting yourself up for something in the future instead of just treading water like we've been doing imagine being an organization that says the second round of the playoffs is not good enough like that's literally best case scenario which our whole ownership group would like literally wet themselves over and and the Sixers said like no we need to do better whereas if you're the Wizards you know, maybe when Wall gets hurt, if you had just gone all in on a tank at that point, you could have done two quick seasons and you'd be in much better position than you are now. And it's not like going this way, you have any real, you know, playoff success to show for it. You have one first round exit where you basically weren't even competitive and you weren't even above 500 that season either. So it's just like, what did that get us? I, I understand um, 
you know, people's thoughts on the process. And we're going to get to the tanking conversation. If you were tuning into this to hear uh, us talk about the Chris Miller thing, like we will get there. But I just want to talk first about the other sort of, you know, maybe more national reaction to the Wizards. And for anybody that follows Bill Simmons, he doesn't talk about the Wizards much because there's not much to talk about. But when they come up, uh, he's usually pretty scathing about how they how they run this organization. And so on his most recent podcast, he talked about the dumbest teams of the season and nominated the Wizards. For anyone who hasn't uh, listened to the clip or listened to the whole podcast, he basically just some you know to summarize they were they're the worst run or one of the worst run organizations. He said to me that's the dumbest franchise in the league this year. I don't understand the point of their season. Was one particular quote I loved. We have this nucleus that has no chance of winning a title. Let's pour more money onto it. That's the classic Washington Wizards move, right? I've never seen a franchise, an organization, and an owner so desperate to remain mediocre. If I was a Wizards fan, I would be losing my mind. Well, you're right, Bill. We are losing our collective minds. I think that that nails how, like, I would say probably 90 plus percent of the fan base feels about this team and where they're going. Uh, what was your reaction to that, Greg? Uh, well, the the uh, quote that I that I also liked was the, when he said, "I've never seen a franchise or an owner so desperate to be me, remain mediocre." It's just the perfect encapsulation of of everything that's being done in Washington. We have an owner that, uh, despite losing uh, and having losing seasons the past five years, is still set in his ways that we shouldn't tank and mm-hmm. that this is the way to run it. We pay our players, we keep uh, ourselves relevant in the national media, and we try to at least. Um, make a run for the eight seed or seven seed, because that's kind of what brings in the money. And, and it, it's just the the national indictment is far more than what we've been doing on a, like a, a local basis, I guess I would say, you know, all the Wizards fans have known this for the last four or five years. Uh, and you mentioned before, like we, we have years with, with John getting hurt. We have Brad Bonga, Jerome Robinson lineups with Ish Smith. And it's just like, what are you doing at this point? <laughs> How do you how do you throw out this product and say this is this is a step in the right direction? We have one player that's really good and we're going to pay him a lot of money, but we don't have to worry about the rest of the roster because at least he'll bring in some revenue. It's just it's been the same thing and it's the same bullshit for four or five years. And I think the fans are starting to, to catch on. They're starting to get annoyed. Uh, th- there's a fire that's starting to get lit under a lot of people. And and from a lot of people that I talk to, uh, they they just don't want to go to the games. You know, it, it's you're spending sixty to eighty dollars, maybe a hundred, depending on where you're sitting, to watch a terrible product of basketball where they're probably going to lose the game, and and you're you're also you're you're not you're not getting what other fans get at other arenas. The in-game experience is nowhere near as good as it usually is uh, in like Philly and Denver. You got uh, your star player that never looks like he's engaged, and you just got there's no excitement around the roster. Beginning of the season, there's a little bit people gas themselves up. I fall in that category. I get I get roped in, but there's just there's no excitement. There's no thought or like there's no rational thought that this team can ever be anything more than a first or second round exit. I started this season doing a podcast saying that this was as excited as I had been for a Wizards team in probably four or five years. And in that same episode, I predicted that they would go 41 and 41 this season. Uh, so it's like, that was what I was clinging to is like, well, 41 and 41, maybe get you like the seven seed. And that was enough for me to be like, all right, I enjoyed Kuzma in year one. Maybe that'll get better. I liked how we ended the year with Porzingis last year. If Brad could be healthy, 
but I still didn't see any great ceiling for this. And I think you nailed it with, it's not even just that there isn't excitement. There isn't even hope for future excitement. Like, I, again, I, I apparently I'm the world's biggest Denny hater, but like I actually do like Denny as like a sixth, seventh man kind of player. But to me, he's never a guy that has a ceiling of like, here is our fringe all-star in waiting. Corey's not your fringe all-star. Like if you go watch Orlando, there are probably three guys that you could say, I could see them being on an all-star team at some point in the next couple of years. Like Wendell Carter is an established player for them, and he's still probably more exciting to me as a long-term piece than anyone on this Wizards roster right now. And that just speaks to how they've drafted, and it's been the safe guys to compliment around Beal. Instead, it's you should be swinging as big as you can as many times as you can, knowing you're going to whiff on most of them. But if you just get one right, like you have now a star fourth piece even, and now, or Kuzma's your fourth guy, or Porzingis is your third guy, even like then this organization's in a different place, and they just haven't done that. It's flawed logic from the beginning. Um, but you know they they put themselves in that position, and it's because they've been so desperate to go on these late season runs when other teams are smart and don't give a shit. And that's why this year fans were like, "You can't screw this one up. This is a draft where you can't afford to fall to eighth, ninth, tenth." Like get the five, get the number five pick in the draft and like, let's rock. And like, then I think you could sell like, to me, if you're keeping Beal, I keep Porzingis and Kuzma. It's not my money. It's Ted's money. If he wants to do that, so be it. You upgraded point guard if you can. And you hope that just this draft pick could come in and do something right away. And, and to me, that's at least it would give you some level of excitement for next year. Like, okay, this core plus Amon Thompson or whoever it is. Like, all right, like at least there's something to like build toward there. Uh, but at this point, like, let's segue that into the Chris Miller thing. I, I don't think anyone has been getting on here and saying, like, I hope the players go out and throw the games. I hope the players go out and point shave. Like we've all been saying as an organization, play Johnny Davis 25 minutes a game. See if he can help you next year, in a, you know, when it actually matters. Like, let's see if Point Denny works. Uh, like, we, we've all got opinions on it. Like, give him the keys and see where it ends up. Can Corey do anything off the dribble? Can he do, you know, like, just give him a shot. Can you post up Gafford? Uh, so I think that's where most of us were coming from. I'll get to actual Chris Miller's comments in a minute. But is that kind of how you feel about this, Greg? Like, what should we see for the final seven games? I felt this way probably since, well, definitely since the Orlando loss, that mm -hmm. kind of flipped the switch for, I think, a lot yeah. of fans. And I think that's kind of what Chris was was talking about. But I was at the first Atlanta game uh, when we blew the 15-point lead after we almost lost to the Pistons. And now it, it was just, it was so deflating. The whole energy around the team was so deflating. And, and since that point, I just never felt like we could recover. You know, you you have four games, two against Toronto, two against Atlanta at home. You have a great opportunity if you win three of those games to be the seventh and eighth seed and have a position to maybe move up to six and you lose three or four at home. And ever since that point, it just never felt like we could recover. So what do you do from there? From a proactive standpoint, you say, let's just move on. We had 70 games, which is what Corey said in the post game. We had 70 games. He killed it, by the way. He's I, like he's endeared himself to Wizards fans everywhere with that. He said we have 70 games to prove that we were contenders and we could win, and we didn't do our job. Mm -hmm. So what do you do from there? You failed. It's okay. Just move on to next season. There's no need to re-injure any players. Brad has been out for 30 games. KP has been 
good in, in terms of only missing 11 games, but he can get injured at any point. Mm-hmm. Kuz has been banged up since the All-Star break. There's just no reason to play these guys if you're going to be fighting for the 10th seed that at this point is kind of unattainable, being that you're three and a half back at Chicago and don't hold the tiebreaker. You're four and a half back at Toronto and don't hold the tiebreaker. Like you're, you're even losing to Indiana, who's trying to rebuild at the moment. You have to just, you have to be in the moment. You have to look at what you've done and it's okay to, to just say, you know what, let's shut this down. Especially and what I think helps the situation is how deep this draft class draft class is. I just started diving into it. I see at least four point guards that I'd be content with taking, especially if we're top seven or eight, at least one of them will be there. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's obviously room. If you have a top pick, you can trade back and get more assets, get some more veterans if you want to play all in. There's just so much you can do and so much you can work with if you shut it all down and get the sixth or seventh pick as opposed to picking in the 9-10 range. Because as we've seen, if you're picking in that range, you get Corey Kispert, who's a pretty solid player, but he's not going to elevate your team to any type of level. And you get Johnny Davises, who are really decent in college, but they're they're developmental pieces that might not help you now. So that jump from from 10 to 6 is the difference between a Johnny Davis and a Benedict Matherin. And that's why you need to to just realize the situation and, and just shut everything down. We can all get on here and do sort of revisionist history and hindsight and things like that and say, oh, Jalen Williams was a no-brainer in the draft. But there's a reason uh, he was considered a late first-round pick for most of the year. Like, there were actual warts there. And I think we could all focus on the positive things and say, oh, you know, we he should have gone a lot higher. Well, in retrospect, he should have. But he was still kind of a risky pick for a couple of reasons. Like, he didn't play to his size. He played inferior competition. He didn't lead them to a ton of wins. And they actually had a decent enough team around him. Not great, but decent. So, like, there are things you could point to. The defense was suspect at times. He plays really straight up. Like, okay. Uh, but to me, that's a bigger swing than I think people get credit give them credit for. And they took him and Usman Jang, like, almost back-to-back. And that's another, like, he might not pan out for three or four years if he pans out at all. But if he does, they'll probably be pretty good. And to me, that that's the strategy, right? Like swing as big as you can, as many times as you can. I'm just going to keep saying that because that's what the good teams do. Like the Celtics are in a good position. They've whiffed more times than they've hit. But the t- times they've really hit, they've hit really well. Like Jalen Brown was probably a risk at three. Uh, Tatum was probably a risk trading down for to take him the way that they did. But they did smart other things. And honestly, they, they kind of like, blue probably three or four top 20 picks but they gave themselves enough swings to the bat like if you're the wizards and you only have a limited amount of draft picks like you can't afford to walk out of there with eight men every time and that's their only position so if this is your one chance to get a top six ish pick and pray to god you get higher up in the lottery like you have to nail this i think chris miller knows that like anyone around basketball i would think knows that but like, you cannot F this one up. If you're Tommy Shepard, your long-term future as the GM of this team, if it isn't already tied to this, it should be. Uh, and if you blow this one, I don't know how you defend that at this point. Like, I've always said he's one, like, hit draft pick away from actually having a pretty darn good draft record overall. Davis will be a solid role player. I think we've seen a, a couple bright spots recently to give people a little more confidence that that's the case. But there's been no real busts, let's say. Like they're they're all pretty solid guys. He's evaluated talent well elsewhere. 
with Gafford and Bertans and Goodwin and things like that. So if he had one marquee win, I think we look at his tenure a lot differently. So if he like nails this one and he ends up with a guy that comes in and produces right away and has a long term, you know, even like fringe all star you know, potential, like I think we look at him a lot differently and that might get himself another extension, which I don't know, there's probably a lot of people listening to this that don't want that, but um, that might be what happens. So I think that's, again, where most like reasonable fans are with this. It's like, we don't want to see the team be shitty, uh, but I'd rather you be shitty for seven meaningless games this year and be good next year. So, so that's where I'm at. I think that's where most people are at. You don't have to shut down everybody. To your point, if any of these guys even mildly need rest, they should be on the bench. And the other big thing about this is most development and improvement happens in the offseason. So if you can give them two weeks of rest now and they can hit the ground running, you know, first week of May on skill development and things like that, that's actually a huge head start from a lot of these other teams. And that might lead to better players next year. Uh, Kuzma still developing player still adding to his game because he wasn't allowed to do a whole lot early in his career like a guy like that if he sits for two weeks now i'd rather him like go work on how to get himself easier shots or i, I don't know wh- whatever whatever the case may be whatever your development plan is for them so anyway sorry for the ramble but uh actual chris miller quotes here uh he said i don't understand this notion about wanting the team to lose on purpose if you've ever competed in your life, no one has wanted to lose a game on purpose. It's the if you're competitive piece that like really what like fired me up. Um, it's not at the level these guys have been competitive, but uh, I'm a competitive person. And pretty much every sport I've played, I've been pretty successful in at least to some you know reasonable amateur level of success. So uh, to say that we're all uncompetitive because we want them to lose seven bullshit games or eight bullshit games or whatever. It is just like so wildly offensive to me for some reason. Uh, I, I think, Greg, you're a nicer, more optimistic person. So how did you take that in the moment when you heard the comments? Uh, it was it was weird because it was kind of a switch up from from his whole vibe on. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the game when we played in Orlando right before the Spurs yeah. game, he he came out and he's like, you know, it's OK. You know, we we competed. The guys played hard. The young guys like Danny and Corey played well. But, you know, we lost in, in the plane slipping away. And he was just preaching, I think, what he actually believes. And it, and, and that's why I've always liked Chris. I always have respect for him. He's always a nice guy. But that was why I love that he got the job because he's always just been a genuine, real dude. Mm-hmm. He'll tell you it how it is, especially on the post game. And, and then the switch up from that to the personal attack on people, which is why I think most people took offense to it saying, you know, you're not competitive. You don't know what it means to compete. If you think like this, I, I just think that was a bullshit take. And I don't even think that's what he means. I don't know if the higher ups called him in and said, you're being, you're, you're, you're being too honest right now. You need to preach more of what we're trying to push and more of our agenda. But that just, it didn't seem like a legit, a legit answer from him. And, and it, I don't think, and he tried to back himself up on Twitter. He posted a couple articles I just think he's fighting a losing battle. Every every single fan with with any sort of sense that's watched this team for the first 75 games this season understands that they had their chances, they failed, and now it's time to wrap it up. It's it's just it's not 
it's not a statement that strikes a chord with anyone apart from the people at MSE and, and Ted Leonsis. So I, I don't I don't know if that's really what Chris Miller means, but at the end of the day, it's just it's a kind of a short-sighted comment um that that I just didn't think needed to be made, or at least could have been worded a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he could he didn't have to say, you know, you're not competitive. He said, you know, I I may not agree with this. You can think what you think, but I'm always going to be the more optimistic person that sees that like he doesn't see that we don't have a chance. He sees that, oh, we're only three and a half back. Maybe we can keep competing. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I'm I'm curious to know what you have to say, though. That wasn't a spur of the moment comment. Like he had that one in the chamber and been thinking about it. And if if you're going to attack a certain portion of a fan base, you better word specifically who you're aiming those comments at. So if he really meant, no, 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 I'm just talking about the people that are saying the players should go out and throw the game, which I don't think that exists. I have yet to see, like, I may not be some super insider with the team, but I feel like I'm pretty plugged in to where the fan base is at. I've never seen anyone be like, man, I hope KP goes out there and just shoots 30 half-court shots and loses the game. Like, that's not what anybody's saying. It's give KP his 20 minutes, see how he looks next to Denny, and Goodwin and these guys together and things you can take away as sort of meaningful, you know, anecdotes for next year. Like, hey, remember when we rolled those three guys out together? They look kind of good. Like, let's try that again. Uh, no one is suggesting that the players would go out and throw a game. Like, that's that's on management if they want to do that. And honestly, they're already doing it. Like, this, like, generic soreness that the team is out somehow now all experiencing if they were in the eighth seed right now, they'd all still be playing. So they could all be playing. The team has chosen to do this. I don't know if this is like a way of doubling down to protect Ted so he doesn't look like an idiot for saying we will never, ever tank. I don't know. I will tell you that I do know enough people in that organization, and that's from players and other media people and my own personal experiences trying to deal with them. They're petty. Like, this is a petty organization. So if you're Chris, like... I, I don't think this is like a job security thing. To me, it's he's a cheerleader for the players, an advocate for the players. And he's trying to make his point that, you know, they would never do this and they're playing the hardest they can. And and maybe the organization still cares and we want to make the play in like it's bullshit. But if you want to say it, that's fine. You just don't need to come at us for it. Like we're not sitting Brad and Monte out like the fans have nothing to do with that shit. It's also not December. Like if this was December and the whole fan base is like, fuck it, let's tank. Like we're done here. Okay. Like I could see him being like, no, that's not the way. If you're anti-tanking, well, one, you're stupid, but two, um, you're entitled to that opinion. But uh, to say that tanking never works, like there's just like a long history that says that you're wrong. And again, you could still say you don't like it. Uh, Like, hey, it works, but I'd rather not go that route. I tend to agree with you. I'd rather not see us be dog shit. If you had like a young up and coming team like Orlando, they're fighting really hard. They've got pieces for the future. They're just not good yet. Like to me, that's not tanking. Um, but I'm okay with a team being bad in those circumstances. Uh, but but if you single the fans out, you better get it right uh, because they're going to fucking come for you. And you might be a petty organization. This is a petty fan base. Like we've been fucked with for too long. And I'm like, I'm personally tired of this stuff. Uh, every time I email the wizards and ask for everything, they don't, anything, they don't respond. I had them tell me players aren't available to do interviews because they're too busy. And then had the player themselves tell me they'd love to do an interview. So it's like, 
okay, is it because I'm critical? Like I'm, I'm not an outlet that they want their players doing interview for. Like, I don't know, but uh, if you come at us, like we're going to come at you. And to be honest with you, I kind of can't get past this one with Chris. Like uh, um, if he hadn't doubled down and been like, Oh, what I was really saying is like, you know what you were saying. We know what you were saying. And now you're trying to backtrack because you took a colossal L like, and you need everybody to like you. That's, that's okay. That's a you thing. Uh, but I don't know, just like, don't mention us again, like keep our names out of your mouth and, and maybe we won't have this problem moving forward. So that, that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing. And I now feel better getting that off my chest. So thank you, Greg. Yeah, no, you, you hit it on the nail. It's, it's, it's just kind of ever since MSC bought NBC sports, Washington, I've seen uh, being that someone that doesn't get NBC sports, Washington, so I can't watch pre or post game, but I kind of live it through some people that that leave comments on Twitter and, mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, they're, they're just turned off at this point. It's just propaganda. It's yeah. this team's still good. And, Oh, we lost by 30 points, but look at this graphic of the big three where they all scored 25 plus. No one, no one cares. I hate to break it. It was the triple double watch with Westbrook too. Like no one wants to hear about a 2020 20 when they lost by 20. Every single game, he was close to a triple double or got a triple double. We could have lost by a hundred points. They still put the graphic up because that's just the type of organization this, this is. And when you watch pre and post game, you watch it because you want to hear people that are thinking the same thing as you. You want to, you want to hear people that are in tap with everything that's going on and can break down the game from a non-biased perspective. But if I'm just going to hear the same bullshit excuses every time, and I'm just going to hear, well, this guy had a great game and he's playing up to his contract and he's doing well now, it doesn't matter that we're losing. I I don't want to hear that. I don't know what their viewership numbers are. I'm sure they're not that good now, but I, I just don't understand the whole the whole notion of Ted that I need to own everything and everyone needs to meet my agenda. That's just not something that anybody wants to be a part of or anyone wants to participate in. And I think Chris has sort of gotten looped into that. Uh, and again, I don't want to speak on, on any of that. Cause I don't really know his personal life. I, I don't know if this is him, his, his own beliefs or someone else telling him what to say, but nonetheless, he just, he, he missed the ball. And like you mentioned, him doubling down and responding to all these people on Twitter, it's just furthering the issue. Just accept the fact that people don't agree with you on this one and move on. It's not its not anyone saying that we don't like Chris Miller. He's bad at his job. It's just we don't agree with you on this one take, and that's okay. You're not always going to be right. But when you're wrong, you need to be able to admit you're wrong. You don't you don't double down. And that's kind of thing where he lost the fan base. So just be like, you know what? I was frustrated. I heard a few, like a few people specifically like like cheering uh, every time we did something bad or booing every time you know we did something good and that pissed me off because i don't you know like cool man like i would i would totally respect that uh but like you're all stupid if you think tanking is a good thing it's just like again it's, it's just not where we're at like be mad at the team and also if you are in a position where you can't be critical of the team then just be objective like you Ted's not going to fire Chris Miller if he's well liked by the fan base because he went out and just said here are the facts. This is the team they haven't won this, you know, here's what could have gone wrong objectively. Here's what they hope they can fix next year. Like just give a clinical analysis of where you think the team is at. You don't need to be a cheerleader, you don't need to be this toxic negativity guy that comes in and shits on him. Like people are okay with like substantive 
like basketball analysis. Uh, it's why it's not just because he's nice to us on the podcast, but I appreciate Chase so much because I think he's like trying his best to be like, here are the things that are working. Here are the things that aren't working. And and he's not drawing like some deeper conclusion from that other than just like, here's what we saw on the court. And and that's what I think most like educated basketball fans are looking for from their commentary. It doesn't have to be shock jock stuff where it's it's not the organization's fault. It's the fans fault. Like, just shut up. Uh, like no one no one is interested in that. I think David Aldridge like nailed every piece of this in his article for The Athletic. And and basically the gist of that was if you are a Wizards fan and you actually care about this team's future, you should want them to lose every game the rest of the way. Like, yeah, yeah, you should. The team should want them to lose every game the rest of the way. And guess what? The team does. That's why they're sitting these guys. So it's just it's it's weird to take it out on us. Uh, any thoughts on the Aldridge uh, article before we kind of move on to the next thing? He he. I mean, he hit it perfectly. You know, I, I saw a lot of like uh, a lot of articles in the last couple of, of days. Like, you know, maybe like the plane's still alive. Uh, this is what this team's future holds. But but he just went and he just said it straight, which is what I respected. And that's that's why I clicked on the link. I was like, this is this is something I want to read. And and he he just he was spot on. The fact that we're resting Brad due to a a knee contusion, and the fact that Kuz played on that ankle, I'm sure it's a bad sprain. Sure. But if we're in eighth or ninth place. They're both playing. Mm-hmm. Monte is not sitting out the Raptors game and then just coming back tonight. Right. You know, Gaff's not sitting out tonight because Gaff plays through everything. Mm-hmm. There, there's just certain elements where you you just got to be like, you know, this is what it is. It is optimal for us to lose these next couple of games. If you go four and three, three and four, even if you go two and five, that is bad. Right. Because teams like the Trailblazers are shutting down Damian Lillard and losing by 40 points at home to the to the Pelicans last night. They're going to lose out. Mm-hmm. Teams like the Pacers, I wouldn't be surprised if they shut down Halliburton and they shut down Miles Turner and they say Matherin, um, Nemhard, our young guys go out and, and show out and, and see what we have in next year and develop. There's there's just a cluster between that nine to six spot. And even, even now, top five with the Magic winning so many games – the jump between nine and five is astronomical and it, and you're just, you're dumb at that point. If you don't see that and you don't, and you don't adapt and be proactive and say, let's shut everyone down. No need to risk injury. Just set ourselves up for a high draft pick and move on to next season. Yeah. I think that's beautifully said there. I mean, we mentioned that they play the Celtics tonight, the magic on Friday, the Knicks on Sunday, the bucks, the following Tuesday, the Hawks, Wednesday, the heat Friday, the Rockets, uh, the, the last Sunday on April 9th is their last game of the season. You know, the Magic probably don't want to win, but it also doesn't seem like they're holding their guys back. So that that is a team that could theoretically beat the Wizards. The only one here that I could see them like just losing because the other team is like actually outpacking them is the Rockets game. Like that is an actual cluster talk and, and not a position uh, I'd want to be in as a fan because uh, I don't like their young talent a ton. Overall, anyway, it seems like they're in total disarray. But for the most part, like to your point, you, you should probably lose all those games. Now, if you play all the young guys and Johnny Davis has a game where he goes four for five from the three-point line and Denny has a triple-double and Gafford has a you know a 14-rebound, four-block game and you go out and you beat the Hawks or something, like I'm not going to be mad about it. Like uh, Or Corey you know, has 27 points again or something. Like We can live with those things. It's 
Um, but if that happens organically, it happens organically. Like we shouldn't be fighting to try to like get those wins. So uh, the, the the last major topic I want to hit on with you here, Greg, is just sort of, uh, just, well, maybe let's, let's stay on this for one more second. Like let's say lottery odds overall for people uh, just kind of where, where the wizards are at right now for anyone that's really not following this. The wizards are 33 and 42, as we mentioned, that currently puts them in eighth on uh, the lottery standings at the moment. They're basically a half game back of Indy and a full game back of Orlando and a full game back of Portland. So like a few losses here could, could get you into that fifth spot. And that's the best you can do. Charlotte is the next worst team. They have the fourth best odds. They're like seven games worse than the Wizards. So so we're not catching them. Uh, but to your point, like you win a couple games here. Utah could leapfrog you. Chicago could leapfrog you. Like it, it could get dicey quickly. And if you finish with like the eighth or ninth best odds, there's still a real, like a very sizable chance you drop a position or two. So that that could be really bad for you if like you win a couple here and you go from five with a really good chance to get into the top four versus falling uh, to nine and ending up with the 10th pick essentially. So uh, for anyone that doesn't understand lottery odds, essentially like it, it's a lottery for the top four picks and then everybody is dropping after that. Realistically right now, the Wizards have like a like a high 20 some percent chance of getting a top four pick based on where they are record wise right now. And, and that's, that's not inconsequential. They also have like a 30% pick or 30% chance of dropping into like the ninth spot right now too. So um, to, to your point, Greg, like this, this could get really dicey for them if they don't handle this the right way. Yeah. And to, and to further that, if you want to look at it from a prospect standpoint, instead of just numbers, there's five players in this draft that people would consider home runs. You have Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, and the two Thompson twins. And and although it's a deep draft class, after that, no one knows what's going to happen. Those seem like the the consensus top five. And, and if you're in that top five, I don't care who you get out of those players. It's a home run for me. I don't, I mean, they're they're so talented. But once you start dropping off, you start going to like your Nick Smiths, your Case and Wallaces it's not a surefire home run. It's someone that, yeah, he's got great upside. He had a decent college career, but he might not work out. Mm-hmm. And that's why moving from where you are at, at seven and eight, to potentially up to five or six, maybe into the top four, that is what takes you from a ceiling of 40 wins to a ceiling of a second, third round uh, to contender and possibly better. That's why uh, me and Matt are stressing how how like optimal and and smart it is to just go full tank these last couple games when you have a top five pick traditionally and i think i'm not as high on a sore thompson just from what i've seen and i've watched the ote less than i've watched overtime lead for anybody that doesn't pay attention to them, uh, less than i've watched college basketball but they're obviously freak athletes and and he probably got more in his bag than he gets to show next to his brother so still still interesting prospects like those guys are not only high upside they're also pretty high floor guys like the Thompsons are at the very least going to be top 5% athletes in the league. They're going to be athletic. They have good feel for the game. Whether they shoot it is the swing skill. But at the very least, you're getting like a reasonable player no matter what. These guys after that, a lot of them still have huge upside, but they also have really low floors. So it, it gets risky or you end up with the kind of guys that we've had traditionally, which is like, this guy will probably be pretty good. 
but it doesn't have any star upside. Like I like Jairus Walker from Houston, but I don't see a world where he's like a star. You know, if he's best case scenario, like a Paul Millsap level player someday, to me, that's like absolute best case scenario in terms of like impact, like in terms of caliber of player, not saying they play the same way, but like, that's still really good. But to me, I think it's far more likely he's just like a very valuable, versatile role player. So not the highest floor, but but pretty high ceiling. Or sorry, not the highest ceiling, but pretty high floor. Uh, so it, it just gets dicier for you. And and the boom or bust potential gets bigger the later you get. Doesn't mean you can't hit a star at 10 or 11, 12 here, uh, but but it becomes harder. All right, with that, let's, let's hit the last thing here. Not also a particularly good note, but... I want to get your take on this. So Bradley Beal's report today is under investigation for assault regarding a fan incident. The complaint was lodged against Beal on March 22nd after the Orlando game. Uh, the player was involved in a spat with two fans following the loss of the Magic. Uh, let's see, the, the dispute kind of happened in the tunnel on the way to the locker room. One of the guys said to Beal, you effed me out of $1,300, you F. And Beal turned around, walked with the fans, appeared to, from witness accounts, knock the hat off one of the guy's heads in response to the heckle. They called um, each other some names, it sounds like. Um, and Beal said the comment was disrespectful, supposedly saying, keep it a buck. I don't give an F about none of your bets or parlays, bro. That ain't why I play the game. And then there were some more words. Essential, essentially, it was like a one-minute thing, and everybody moved on. To me, this is a total non-story. This is somebody being a little bitch, thinking he had more right to talk to a player than he does. If you're Beal, you can't strike somebody like you can't. It just you just can't do that no matter what. But to me, like slapping somebody's flat bill off their head, it's not assault. Uh, now, if he like bare hand slaps the guy in the face and the hat falls off, different story. I'm sure those things will come out. My gut is that this is a non-issue. There won't end up being like official charges pressed. If I had to guess, I wasn't there. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe there's more to it than that. But if this is an accurate reporting and these people were out of line and disrespectful to Beal and he knocked somebody's hat off, like I am totally a team Beal on this. And the guy's lucky that, you know, he didn't get his ass kicked and and that Beal's in a position where he can't afford to kick somebody's ass. Because if you talk to somebody that way to their face, you deserve to get your your ass kicked, in my opinion. I mean, 100 percent. And I tweeted about this earlier. It's just a total non-issue, exactly what you said. And and I saw a lot of people jumping on him like. Oh, what happened? John Wall did the same thing and, and they kicked him to the curb. Why is this different? If you actually are trying to find uh, something to be mad about with this, then you're just a Beal hater and this fits your agenda or you're just delusional. It, this is nothing. I, I wore hats all the time. All my friends, you know, they, they hit the hat down. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they just mess with you. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. This guy is just looking for a quick buck and he's yep. trying to extort a player because he knows he he might be able to mm -hmm. but it's going to get thrown out i've seen players do far worse in the nfl and the nba and yep. they that always gets thrown out this is nothing it's nothing to even worry about it's going to get dismissed and thrown out in two seconds and and we'll all move on it's 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 such a non-issue and it's really it's disheartening to see i understand if you're going to clown on him for his emotions during the game Mm -hmm. for not playing up to his contract but this is it's just ridiculous at this point it's it's if you're a Beal hater and you're trying to find something out of this and trying to make it fit your agenda then you're 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 just kind of uh, you're delusional at that point it's just a non-issue this isn't 
the same thing as the wall thing. Like as much, I, I think most people saying that are, are probably joking about like, hey, Ted, now you have to move on from him just because they want to move the Beal contract. But uh, let's say for anyone out there that's saying genuinely, if, if that if there are people doing that, that this is the same, it, it isn't. Wall had a track record of this kind of stuff happening and they already wanted to get rid of him because of the injury. He gave them an additional excuse to do that and move on from it and to say it was because they really care about those things. You have two players on the roster right now that have been charged with domestic abuse things or or sexual assaults uh, of varying degrees. And and the team doesn't care about that, like because those are ideally productive players, um, one of them less so than the other. But that was them saving face with wall. Hey, we think you're washed. We want to get out this contract. Here's an excuse to move you. And we're going to blame it on the gang thing and hope that the fan base doesn't kill us for that. Or the national media doesn't kill us for that. But that's it. Like uh, if Beal had not been a great citizen or he'd been an injury prone guy that they desperately wanted to move on from, then maybe they'd treat this differently. They do not care about this. This is not a big deal. And Beal will be here for as long as Beal wants to be here. He will never be moved unless he wants to be moved. Like, unless he does some crazy shit or gets hurt a bunch like we're talking about. But but even then, like, this is an organization that doubles down on their guys if they're still their guys. So Beal is, is their guy. He's a company man. They like him. And he's a good citizen and a good Samaritan in the community. It's not to say that Wall wasn't. But the optics with Beal overall are better than they were with Wall. So this is how they can justify that moving forward. Uh, for, for anyone that is interested in Beal being traded, we, we got a couple questions for the show here about is Beal for Jalen Brown realistic? Uh, Greg, I'll, I'll let you go first on that one. I definitely have my own take on that, though. Is it realistic? Probably not. Uh, what people don't understand, obviously, I think the no trade clause won't won't be an issue here. Obviously, I mean, every time I'm sure all throughout the broadcast tonight, we'll hear Brad played with Tatum. We get it. We hear it every single time we play the Celtics. I doubt he'd pass that opportunity up to play on a contender, let alone one with his childhood friend. Uh, but there's also a 15 percent trade kicker that people don't realize and if he's making $250 million... Which he could waive, by the way, if he but, were that desperate to yeah, leave for folks. He could, and, and if he wants to leave, I think he might, just depending on making the money work. Uh, but but in terms of making sense for Boston, yes. Mm-hmm. But making sense for us, it just doesn't. Boston's going to lose Jalen Brown anyway. Now bring in someone like Beal, who could be a similar addition, less the defensive effect on the ball in Boston. And we're taking on Jalen Brown... And if you sign KP and Kuz, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're getting Jalen Brown and two first round picks and a bunch of young players. We're getting nothing, which is why the the trade Beal for Brown, I don't see. But if you want to do a three team, if you want to get crazy and do a three team trade, uh, we've seen Atlanta as the number one rumored team. I worked out one. Um, and this is obviously granted Jalen Brown, I'm assuming will make all NBA second or third team. He's been very good. The Celtics. He's, he's in the mix at the very least here. Yeah. And that's a big thing because I think he can sign for five for 250. And if he makes all NBA, he can sign for five to 90, mm-hmm. which gives him like a 55, 58 million annual salary, which is even more than Beals. So a, a little, a little mock trade just in case he does sign like that. Brad would go to Boston. Jalen Brown would go to Atlanta. And then the Wizards would get DeAndre Hunter 
who's on four years, $20 million contract. They'd get Derek White, who's two years, $18 million. They'd then get Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin, and they'd pick up their options, and they got them for two to three more years. And even with that, they're a good young core, but you get the one first-round pick from, from Boston in 2025, you're going nowhere still. You get a bunch of young talent, but you don't have the picks. And if you sign KP and Kuzma, you're running it back with a worse roster than what you had before. So in terms of trying to make this work for Boston at Atlanta, it works. Maybe they should work something out, but I just don't, I just don't see the, the appeal for, for the Wizards to jump in on this. If you did something like this and it were even like semi-realistic, all you're doing here is kind of resetting the clock. Like he's a slightly younger guy and you would maybe be giving him a new deal and starting fresh with that. And, and that's all it is to me. Like he, I actually think what Brown does leads to more success in the NBA because he is more of a two-way player. I'm not necessarily saying he's a better player than Beal. It's just different, right? Uh, I think what he does contributes more to to winning on the court and the way NBA basketball is played right now. But uh, it's just not it's not a needle mover for you as an organization. And to your point about the money going up dramatically, that that thing's you know that's a lot less appealing for us than it would be to just get off the contract and start over. I think the other thing I'll say is just for people that think that Beal is somehow like a negative asset right now, that's not true. Like I, I, this is the one I, our guy Damo you know posted about this the other day. Like I, I responded to it and just said like. Google what people were saying about Rudy Gobert's contract before he got traded. He was somehow untradeable. Now, Toronto, or excuse me, Minnesota being stupid doesn't mean that everybody else will be stupid and that's now the market. But all those guys, teams can sell themselves on, especially if a some like a perceived star wants to go there. And I thought that was one of the interesting things about the sort of Bill Simmons thing. He said the perception of Beal is far greater than the return on Beal because he is a pretty talented dude, but doesn't win games and he doesn't play enough of them. And Beal's averaging like somewhere in the 50 game ballpark over the last four or five seasons. And it's just, you know, that was after two years in a row where he played every game and he led the league in minutes and all this stuff. He's going to wear down. This is probably the trend moving forward is at best you get 55, maybe 60 games from Beal in a good year. And that's tough for a team to sell themselves on. But history tells us some team will do that. Somebody will say, well, if Beal were here with our training staff and less burden, and he only had a score efficient 20 points per game, and we could move him more off ball, like someone will always talk themselves into it. Unmovable contracts are never unmovable. And Beal is, is still viewed in a much more positive light than Westbrook was or Wall was by the time they both got traded. And those were supposedly unmovable contracts. Also, we saw the bounce back from Chris Paul, who had his own unmovable contract. Like people will suddenly say like, well, what if he got healthy here again? Like we could buy low. So, so I think anyone saying that we'd have to attach assets to move Beal or anything like that, you're just, you're very off base in my opinion, but, but maybe we'll see. And you, and you mentioned the John contract and the Russ contract. When we signed John, it was a great contract. Two years later, it was the worst in the league, and right. I didn't think we could ever move on from it, but we did. Mm-hmm. There's always a path to moving on from, from certain contracts, but to your point, you you keep mentioning it would reset the clock. That's kind of what you would do, and that's that's kind of what it would be. You got Miami, a team maybe that wants Beal, but you're going to be you're gonna be getting two, three firsts maybe from mm-hmm. Miami, probably not even that. Two first, but they'll be in the 20 to 30 range. It's not like they're going to be too much help to your team, especially with the GM that can't even hit on top 10 picks. And and then, you know, maybe make that Atlanta move. You're just getting a bunch of young talent. 
And that's why the pro the pro trade Beal people two years ago were so ahead of the game because he's on that team friendly deal. He's only making like $32 million. You send him to a team, they get two to three years of service with a possible extension, and you get back four first round picks, four pick swaps, a bunch of young talent. You get everything. And now all you're getting in return is just a total reset of the clock. And, and at that point, it's just not worth worth moving on. Now, if you if you think you can trade Beal this offseason and you can unload that contract and then you just say, you know what, we 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 missed on the move to trade Kuz at the deadline. You, you just say, you know what, you can walk. We don't want to pay you KP. Someone else can pay you. And now you kind of got a blank slate where you're starting fresh like a rebuild. But apart from all the picks that you have backloaded, you just have your own. And, and that's one thing I'll say, as bad as we are, at least we're not a team like Minnesota. Yeah, you don't, you don't owe a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's still in the same range. Even Chicago, they're in the same range as us, and they don't own their future picks. They're all in, and this is the best that they can do. At least we still own our picks, and we own our future. And that's that's one thing that I'll that I'll say is, is, I guess, one of the positives if you want to look and be more optimistic. That's been probably the – like. I, there's a lot of like tweets, and again, I think a lot of these are jokes about – I uh, w- wish we had Ernie back and Tommy's not that much better than Ernie, but, but Ernie routinely mortgaged the future uh, to try to save his own job and, and perpetuate those things. Tommy's not really doing that. Like he's not selling out long-term picks and maybe it's because he can't because they're tied up in this other deal uh, or he would, but you know, Ernie was never shy about that. And, and I think we don't have a ton of draft capital because we haven't flipped any players for those assets when we should have like Bertans, for example, but you know, it's it's still not the worst position to be in. So if you were just going to be bad organically and keep all your own picks for the next couple of years, like, okay, that, that wouldn't be the worst thing. You mentioned the trade deal two years ago crowd. Everybody loved that sort of notional Warriors deal that maybe was or wasn't on the table. I probably was higher on Jonathan Kaminga than anybody else in that draft. I ended up with him second on my board. Uh, behind Cade Cunningham, which I only put him second, honestly, because I didn't want to get clowned too bad. And I just want to throw this out there for everybody that said I'm an idiot and he's been a total bust. In the month of March, Kaminga's averaging 23 points, six and a half rebounds, one and a half steals, 60% from the field, 67% effective field goal percentage, 63% from two, 50% from three, and is the highest field goal percentage and three-point percentage among all sophomores for about like a 15 game sample size. So uh, dude is trending in the right direction. He's a physical beast. He's athletic. He's great in transition and uh, has a lot of positional and defensive versatility. So I'm just saying like, if you'd have had that young core, like they've obviously not panned out perfectly for the Warriors in a win now mode, but that would still be an exciting piece for me that I would look at recent production and be like, Ooh, okay. So I don't know, just, just a sort of like a what if kind of thing. Like what if we did have those couple warrior picks instead of Beal right now? How different would things look? But I don't know. Uh, Greg, any parting uh, thoughts or shots here before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I'll say it. This is what I always say. Again, we're not good enough to win a title. We're not bad enough to pick top five. But if you want to be optimistic, we might end up being bad enough to pick top five. Because although we went all in, we're so bad at going all in that we're actually in the running for a top five pick. So hopefully in these last couple of games, if you want something to watch, because I know I'll be watching, I'm sure you'll be watching. Unfortunately, that's just what we're going to do. 
If you need something to watch for, Johnny Davis has looked really good the last couple of games. Career-high 15 points and career-high 30 minutes last game against the Raptors. Denny is averaging 17, 8, and 6 in his last three games. He's been unbelievable. Corey Kispert's maybe shooting 55% from three in the month of March. He's averaging 16 points in the month of March. He's been amazing. So hopefully over these next seven games, not only do we continue to lose and improve our draft uh, our draft um, lottery position, but hopefully we see some more development from some of the young guys. And maybe we'll even see something from Xavier Cooks. Just signed him for four years, six mil. Haven't, haven't seen him play in any other time, but the, the BS minutes at the end of the game. So if you want to look for four things to watch for, look for those four players to develop. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It, I, it was very fun. Yeah, no, I appreciate you doing this. This is awesome. I hope everybody enjoyed this. I think I'm a little biased, obviously, because we just recorded this, but I think this should be a reasonable reflection of where people are at or the things they're trying to like cycle through too. So so let us know after you listen to this if if we were off base or if we hit the uh, you know, the nail on the head with some of this stuff or or any other things like this that you want us to talk about in future episodes. Greg, for anybody that isn't following you, where can they find your content? Uh, on Twitter, it's just at Greg Finberg, capital G-R-E-G, capital F-I-N-B-E-R-G. Uh, I live tweet the Wizards games. I just tweet about the Wizards. That's kind of what I live for. And I also have a blog called Wizards Wave. It's in the link in my bio. I usually post it at 1230 on Wednesdays. So uh, feel free to check that out. But yeah, thanks for having me on again. Awesome. And you've been hosting some spaces after these games on, on Twitter. They've been really interesting to listen to. I usually listen to them after the fact because I'm too annoyed after the game and I don't want to say anything uh yeah. too reactionary right after but uh they're really interesting it's nice to get a pulse from the fan base immediately after they happen i think you've done a really good job kind of moderating those so uh keep up the good work there will do thank you all right everybody this has been believe in wizards you know the drill uh, again say this every time I, I hate being like the shameless self-promoter here but we do really appreciate reviews and things like that you guys have left a lot of really nice ones and uh we do see those we do appreciate them so uh, thank you for taking the time to do that. Thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, we're brought to you by betonline.ag, and we will catch you next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube